News Daily. Hope you had a wonderful weekend. Thanks for being here. Had a lot of guests today. We talked to Ohio Right to Life about issue one in Ohio. Big vote tomorrow. Uh, we talked to Matt, um, Matt Boyle about all the other races that are going on tomorrow. Kentucky, Virginia, New Jersey. Big races there. Uh, and we talked to Dan Gaynor as well. Give us an update on the things that happened this weekend. We talked about the Palestinian, pro-Palestine protests that happened in, in D.C. It's crazy again. I don't. I didn't know there were so many Palestinian flags in my country, but alas, here we are. Um, but we'll talk about that. We also talked with Tony Perkins from the Family Research Council. That's the segment we're going to play for you coming up just a little bit. But let's just play the opening segment here. Uh, just give a little update on, uh, on the world. And we talked uh, oh, tomorrow. We were going to talk about Barack Obama. We didn't get to it. We'll do it tomorrow. But I love when the left tries to figure out why Trump's voters like Trump. <laughs> just like, like, it's so funny because at first they're just baffled that they can't, like, oh, they get angry. And then they always land on something like you're a bigot or you're a racist. That's, that's all they can. And then they just go with that. They don't keep thinking any more than that. So you're a bigot, you're racist. Uh, in this case, you want revenge. We talk about that. Uh, we got lots to do today. Tens of thousands. Tens of thousands. One estimate was 100,000. That would be 10 tens of thousands. Seems like a lot, but it was a lot of people, whatever it was. Of pro-Palestinian protesters massed in Washington, D.C. Saturday afternoon before descending upon the White House to chant Allahu Akbar and blank Joe Biden. Uh, those weren't, it wasn't like there were uh, Muslims and Trump supporters who were chanting two different things. It was just a bunch of Muslims, I suppose. Not only, but whatever. Pro-Palestinian people chanting uh, both of those things. As they accused the president of genocide and demanded a ceasefire in the Gaza Strip. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. The crowd dotted with Palestinian flags and signs cried at the start of the event. I don't know. This, I, if you see like some pictures, video of it, uh, it's on Breitbart.com, of course. It, f- it feels insurrection-y. You know? They smeared red paint on the, the white stones that make up the gates around the White House. When gates were swaying tonight, one, prester, one protester said to me, quote, it's going to be all over if they were to open. In the moment, it wasn't hard to imagine hundreds going through the gate. Protesters also shattered the windows of a nearby McDonald's, which was already peppered with pro-Palestinian stickers and spray paint. Did January 6th protesters break anything outside of the Capitol building? Was there a single window anywhere else that got broken, defaced, anything? wonder. These people broke a McDonald's window for no reason. So we'll talk more about that later. Barack Obama's back in the news. I don't know how much of a role Barack Obama has in anything anymore. I'm going to talk to Matt Boyle about this. We'll talk with him later at the end of the show, 820 Eastern time. So is Barack Obama totally out of the picture? Like I feel like George W. Bush is like out of the picture. He's out clearing brush somewhere in Texas. I don't think he has any role in the Republican Party at all. So I wonder if he's if Barack Obama's like that, or if Barack Obama's like the one pulling the strings, and, and like he's the guy. He's, he's still the most powerful person in the Democratic Party. I don't know, but he said some pretty, pretty ridiculous stuff. We'll talk about him coming up in a little bit as well. Uh, we'll also talk to Matt Boyle about the uh, it's election day tomorrow in a lot of places. The governor's race in Kentucky is the big one. Kentucky, what are we doing, man? What's up? What is what is going on? Kentucky, you better get this one right. I that what Trump beat Hillary by tw- by twenty points in twenty sixteen, twenty, and beat Biden by I think sixteen points. Or no, sorry, was it sixteen? Hold on, twenty twenty Kentucky, sixteen points. I thought it was even more than that. Uh, city minus uh, 30. So what's this? Uh, 20, 26. Yeah, 26 points. 
So did he beat Hillary by 30? He beat Hillary by 30. See, my brain didn't even, oh yeah, okay, I was way off. He beat Hillary by 30 points and he beat Biden by 26 points. <laughs> 26 points. And, and then elected a Republic, uh, excuse me, a Democrat governor. Come on. That makes zero sense. So get it together, Kentucky. Let's, uh, let's make that right. Um, then at 8 o'clock, we're going to talk to Ohio Right to Life about the big vote in Ohio tomorrow about abortion. Speaking of election, we got some polls that came out today. These are Harvard polls. This is if the election were today. Trump would win in Nevada by 10 points. How's that even a swing state anymore? 10 points. Nevada, 10 points. Georgia, 6 points. That's assuming all the water mains stay in place. If, a couple, if there's a couple of water br- pipe breaks, then all bets are off. But right now, assuming he's up by six. Arizona up by five. Michigan up by five. Pennsylvania up by four. And Wisconsin's the only swing state that Biden's ahead in right now up by two. So that's uh, it's not great for Joe Biden. Pretty good for Republicans. Don't get cocky, of course. Got a ways to go here. Still got one year. This is from the New York Times. I'm sorry, did I say that was a Harvard poll? That was a New York Times poll. New York Times. Uh, do, 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 do. President Biden is trailing Donald Trump in five of the six most important battleground states. Suffering, here's their explanation, suffering from enormous doubts. Enormous, enormous doubts about his age and deep satisfaction over his handling of the economy and a host of other issues. I wonder what the New York Times thinks that, that host is. What's the host of other issues? First of all, no one ever uses that in a sentence. So don't listen. If you're writing, I'll tip to writers. Don't use words that no one ever uses. No one ever, no one ever says a host of other anything. What's for dinner tonight? We have uh, grill up some chicken. What else? Ah, host of other things. No one says that. Stop saying. It. Stop saying. That. Oh, what's going on at the uh, the party this weekend? Host of things. Why do people hate Joe Biden? A host of other issues. <laughs> oh, the enormous doubts, though. Enormous. That's pretty good for New York Times admitting enormous doubts. When are they going to push him out? That's, so that's why I don't even want to get too caught up in the 2024 election. I really don't because uh, I, don't, I still don't think it's going to be Joe Biden. I don't know how the Democratic Party can move forward with him losing this badly in all the polls. Right? What are they? Well, let's just give it a go. Let's see what happens. How much can they cheat? We'll talk with Matt Boyle about this as well. Boyle made national news again, by the way. I don't know if you caught that. He made a. Uh, so this is in the court case. This is the civil court case, the civil trial. One of the one of the trials against Trump where they claim that Trump inflated his net worth of his assets in order to get better loans from banks, yet not a single bank complained or were ever harmed in any way and don't care. Like <laughs> no, no bank is suing. It's the state of New York that's suing him. The bank, the banks are fine. Anyway, Matt Boyle uh, reported that the clerk of the judge, right? Remember this judge, this judge, it's like, this is so surreal. It's like he's in an episode of Arrested Development or something. And there was a camera in the courtroom, and the camera swung around and was looking at the judge, and the judge gave this big, goofy smile. Like he was enjoying it way too much. It was really weird. Anyway, his clerk gave six times more than the maximum allowance that a court official can give to a political party, of course, the Democrats. So Matt Boyle reported that and uh, made a bunch of news. And the oh, this this is the judge who has Trump and his whole family on a gag order. So they, no one can defend themselves. No one in the Trump family can defend themselves. So anyway, the judge at the in the courtroom said it's not information; it's an allegation. This idea someone has notified me absolutely untrue, absolutely untrue. I'll let everyone in the room think what they will about Breitbart. So he's attacking the source. When the judge asked the lawyer, Trump's lawyer, which news outlet he was referring to. And the lawyer replied that it was Breitbart. There were audible scoffs in the courtroom. (laughs) I love it. Uh, These people, they're wrong all the time. And Breitbart is proven, proven right all the time. 
Oh, well, this report's from Breitbart. <laughs> Breitbart, Breitbart, Breitbart. If only this report was from a more authoritative source, like the New York Times and the Washington Post. We're always right. Then we could really believe it. But Breitbart, they're the problem. Authoritative sources. Beautiful. I don't know why this one hit me. This, uh, this popped in my brain two days ago. So I'm just going to share it here real quick. But The Lancet, just as an example, we could give a billion examples of the, the lamestream getting it wrong. Goodness, we lived through COVID. But The Lancet is the most distinguished medical journal. Do you remember the monkeypox scare? I don't want to get sidetracked. I'll go quick. Do you remember the mon- monkeypox thing? And uh, conservatives said, oh, this is a disease among gay men. No one has anything to worry about. And the left uh, said, no, anyone can get it. We all must be terrified. Look, here's a study. And The Lancet published a study where 136 people had monkeypox. And they said, look, 60 of them are women. Anyone can get it. See? And uh, it turns out in the study, over half of those women were trans women. <laughs> so, you know, gay men. So it, it was, in fact, a disease of gay men. That was, oh, but the authoritative sources told you the truth. Uh, we don't need to waste any more time giving the bona fides of the lamestream. That one just popped in my head the other day. So, so Matt Boyle will be here at 820. We'll talk about all that. Uh, back to Trump here. The Atlantic had a very long explainer piece as to why you like Donald Trump. And I always like when the left tries to figure out why you like Donald Trump. Because they, you know, they don't get it. It's like that New York Times piece after Trump won in 2016 where they sent a New York Times reporter uh, west of Westchester to try to figure out what the rest of the country's like. And they wrote, I think it was the New York Times, and the guy wrote a report uh, about how there's a lot of trucks. There's so many trucks out there. He was very confused by all the trucks. Why are there so many pickup trucks? It's like, oh, that's the number one car or number one vehicle in the country for like 15 years is the Ford F-150. <laughs> And this New York Times reporter couldn't, they've never seen one or something. Different planet to these people. So these people like to try to figure out why you, how it's possible that you could ever like Donald Trump. So this is Jonathan Carl. I think that name sounds familiar. That's the ABC News White House correspondent. And he claims that Trump supporters are voting for Trump out of revenge. Out of revenge or retribution. He talks about one of the Trump rallies. I think it was his kickoff rally in Texas. Uh, January 6th, the riot played on the massive screens flanking the stage. Qu- uh, Trump said, for seven years, you and I have been, have been taking on the corrupt, rotten, and sinister forces trying to destroy America, Trump told the crowd. They're not going to do it, but they do get closer and closer with rigged elections. 2024, Trump declared is the final battle. John Carl, this wasn't a campaign speech in any traditional sense. Trump echoed the themes of paranoia and foreboding that grew out of the Waco massacre. Yeah, this was Texas. As far as the eye can see, the abuses of power that we're currently witnessing at all levels of government will go down as among the most shameful, corrupt, and depraved chapters in all of American history, Trump said. They're not coming after me, they're coming after you. The message seemed to resonate, but its brazenness was staggering. The folks cheered Trump uh, had not taken boxes stuffed with classified documents out of the White House. And it's safe to assume that none of them spent tens of thousands of dollars to cover up an affair with an adult film star. Meaning, don't be silly, you conservative. They're not coming after you. You didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> so Jonathan Carlson, hey, they're not coming after you. Trump says, uh, Trump says they're coming after you. They're coming after you. You didn't st- steal classified documents. You didn't cover up something with the porn star, whatever. You didn't do those things. It's like, man, you are out of your mind. The, I, I, I just can't stop thinking about the story. The, the guy online, he had 58,000 followers, and he sent out that meme that said, uh, uh, Hillary supporters, skip, avoid the line, or skip the line, vote from home, text Hillary to 774531. He got seven months in jail. Seven months in jail for that. He didn't steal classified documents from the White House. He sent out a tweet. Trump says the DOJ and FBI are destroying the lives of so many great American patriots right before our very eyes. 
Get smart, America. They're coming after you. Carl says, but they weren't coming after Trump's law-abiding supporters. Sure they were. What about the, uh, the moms at the school boards? What about the FBI memo about infiltrating the Catholic Church? Catholic extremists. Carl says, but they weren't coming after Trump's law-abiding supporters. They were coming after Trump. Decades earlier, Bill Clinton told voters he felt their pain. Trump was now doing the reverse, trying to persuade his voters to feel his pain as if it were their own. I right, we can stop there. Uh, this is anyone, like the only, you can only write this if you have never read a history book ever. You can only write something like that if you don't know the depths of human depravity and injustice. You can only write something like that if you have lived a pampered life, which is fine because most of us have. For the, right, We live in America. So most of us have lived a pampered life. That's great. But you got to read a book about people whose bums have not been as powdered as yours, John. Evil people will do evil things if they're given the chance, even in this land we call the United States of America. And when the time is right, evil people will do evil things. When the protections are no longer there, it's over. We're talking a little later about uh, the there's a military base in, in our NATO ally, Turkey. And some protesters, some pro-Hamas protesters were attacking the uh, military base. And they were held back, amazingly, by Turkish police with tear gas and water cannons and stuff like that. Those are the protections. Again, you see the metaphor? Those are the protections against our, or protecting our rights. Right? Those protections go away, and that mob storms the airbase and, and kills Americans. Okay? You get rid of the protections we have in America, and, and all the evil people will do evil things and take away your freedom. Just talk to the guy in prison for seven, seven months because he sent out a meme. Every person who's in prison for years because of January 6th. Years. Years. The left was just looking for an excuse. And they found it and they took it. Boy, did they take it. All right, one more thing. And I'll tell you why I think why people really support Trump. It's not, it's not, it's not quite what John Carl's saying. One more quote from Carl, actually. Um, this is Trump here. The sinister forces trying to kill America have done everything they can to stop me to silence you and to turn this nation into a socialist dumping ground for criminals, junkies, Marxist thugs, radicals, and dangerous refugees that no other country wants. I love that line. I've always loved that line. He has, a line, he has another one. I think he has the word freaks in it. A dumping ground for criminals, junkies, Marxists, thugs, radicals, and dangerous refugees that no other country wants. Trump said. The speech was ominous. But one rhetorical flourish stood out. Quote, in 2016, I declared I am your voice. Today I add, I am your warrior, I am your justice. And for those who have been wronged and betrayed, I am your retribution. And the, ch the crowd chanted, USA, USA. That, more than anything else, is the heart of Trump's 2024 campaign. Vote for me and I will punish the people who have wronged you uh, by wronging me. I am your retribution. Uh, I don't think that's quite it. I haven't heard Trump say the retribution line since. I don't think it's retribution. Let me look up retribution. Should I get the definition right? Punishment inflicted on someone as a vengeance for a wrong or criminal act. I don't. I don't think it's retribution. I don't think conservatives want revenge. I don't. I think conservatives want it to stop. I think that's the key. And any any effort, any any correct me if I'm wrong, but any time a conservative wants anything that looks like revenge, like hey, we should uh, arrest. Hillary, or charge uh, whoever, charge Biden with crimes. I think the point of that is so that it stops. We, we want it all to stop. We just want to give them like, if anyone wants to give a taste of their own medicine, it's so that they be like, okay, let's, let's not do this anymore. I think all conservatives just want all of it to, just everyone to knock it off and just be normal. So that's not, that's not revenge. It's not like we want to like go after the left and, just, just for like, like bloodlust. Like that's not it. We just want everyone to knock it off and be normal people again. Because the and here's why, it's because if they can take down Trump, they can take down anyone. And if they 
start taking down you more often, then they won't stop. And maybe this isn't our last chance, but it's an obvious big chance to stop that from happening. If they go after Trump, they will go. They can go after you, and that's a hundred percent obviously true. There's no question that that's a true statement. And they will go after you. Look at all the the pro-life people that they've arrested. Oh, by the the guy who's in seven months. I know I keep bringing this up because it's crazy. The guy who's seven months in prison for sending that meme. He sent the meme in 2016. It was the 2016 election. He was just put in prison a couple days ago. He sent it in 26, seven years later. They didn't arrest him until uh, like like a week after Joe Biden won the election or took over office. It was just like right at boom, like right after Biden took office. They're like, hey, let's go back four years and charge that guy with a crime. What in the world? Same thing with all the pro-life guys who have been arrested for the FACE Act. They uh, got arrested in like Philadelphia and the local DA was like, ah, no, it's nothing. No, no charge. Just, or like something like dumb, like pay a $100 fine or whatever and just go on with your life. And it was like years later and Biden takes off and they're like, no, go get that guy. So even they, they go back, they go back years accusing someone, not accusing, arresting someone for a crime. So yes, of course they'll go after you. They already are. And they'll do it more. And that's why conservatives just wanted to stop. So what, what will it take to stop? We got to vote for Trump. No question about that. And then I don't know what you got to do after that. But whatever it is to make it stop, or just be normal. All right, so this is the Washington Post because this is their thing now. It's a listen, left is terrified of what's coming. They're terrified if Trump wins. To them, it's an existential threat. This is life or death for them because it's all their power. It could all be gone. That's why you hear uh, Rachel Maddow say, oh, if Trump wins, there won't be any more elections. It's the will. Trump left, okay? Freaks and MSNBC, he left. He left. He got on Air, uh, Air Force One, not Air Force One, Marine One, and got in the helicopter and flew off. Okay, that was it. That was the end of it. And then Joe, ba- Joe Biden's been the president. How's it been going, by the way? But Joe Biden's been the president. So enough of this. Oh, he'll be a dictator. No, he won't. No conservatives even want that. There will be elections again. There will be a 2028 election, okay? But they have to scare you. They have to have you freak out. So here's the Washington Post. Right in line. Like all, the, all these things always come in waves, right? They're all, they all know. They're all talking. Washington Post. Trump and allies plot revenge. Justice Department control in a second term. Well, of course he wants Justice Department control. <laughs> oh, can you believe? Can you believe this? That if Donald Trump wins the White House, he wants to control the Justice Department? Oh, my goodness. That's unprecedented. Except for every president ever. He'll probably even nominate a, a head of the Department of Justice. Trump will. Oh can't let that happen. It's like, yeah, that's what you do. But for them, it's revenge. Here's the Washington Post. Donald Trump and his allies have been begun mapping out specific plans for using the federal government. Who are, who are his allies, by the way? For using the federal government to punish critics and opponents should he win a second term. With the former president naming individuals he wants to investigate or prosecute and his associates drafting plans to potentially invoke the Insurrection Act on his first day in office to allow him to deploy the military against civil de- demonstration. <laughs> it's right. Oh, geez. In private, Trump has told uh, advisors and friends in recent months that he wants the Justice Department to investigate one-time officials and allies who have become critical of him in the office, including former Chief of Staff John Kelly, former Attorney General Bob Barr, as well as ex-Attorney Ty Cobb, and former Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman Mark Milley, according to people who have talked with him. I don't even know if I believe any of that. That's not a real source. But this is the left's strategy. We can't have Trump win. Because if he wins, it's over for us. It's over. If Trump wins, he may do to us what we've been doing to them. So they will do everything to make sure it doesn't happen. They will do everything to scare people. At the thought of him winning. No different than 2016. They did in 2016. Oh, if we let him have the finger on the nuclear button, that whole thing. Remember, Trump, Biden is losing five of the six battleground states by a lot. The closer we get to it, we're one year out. Like one year minus a week out. 
the closer we get to it, the more hysterical they will become, the more absolutely hysterical. Can you imagine? I mean, this is what they're saying a year out. Can you imagine if Joe Biden remains the guy and Trump is up by 10 points in Pennsylvania? Can you imagine what they'll be saying about you? 866-95-PATRIOT. Why do you support Donald Trump? Let's give John Carl uh, some insight here. John at the Carl, former White House correspondent for ABC News. Why they support Donald Trump. Has he ever talked to a Trump voter? I don't think so. Do you support Trump out of revenge? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe, maybe it is revenge. I don't think it is. I think conservatives just wanted to stop. And they know that if they don't stop it now, then the left will come after us in even more profound and obvious ways than they're doing now. That's different than revenge. It's not revenge. I don't know what the word for that is. But that's also policy, too. That's the other thing. Like, no, nowhere in this article is it, uh, oh, and conservatives actually agree with Donald Trump on things. That's, <laughs> that's, never, that's never given any, uh, any, any credence either. Breitbart News Daily. I love that Mike Johnson is the Speaker of the House. Uh, it's unbelievable. It's really is like unbelievable that that happened, and it happened that way. And here we are. Like, like, remember when Matt Gates started this whole thing, and then you blink your eyes, and then Mike Johnson is the what? Really? Because there's no way if anyone knew anything about him that they this guy would have ever won outright. Nor like you know what I mean if he ran in a normal way, no way would he have won. It had to be done amidst the chaos and madness. So now that he's there, uh, I'm thrilled. So uh, there's a lot of smears coming out about him, of course, now that the left is doing their research uh, about how he's, uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a theocrat. <laughs> a theocrat? What are you talking about? He's friends with Tony Perkins from the Family Research Council. So we talked to Tony about the new Speaker of the House. Tony, how are you today, sir? Mike, I'm doing quite well. Quite are well. You, it's a great Monday you, morning. Sun is shining over the District of Columbia, so it's going to be a great day. Amen. Uh, are you allies with uh, with Mike Johnson, Tony? Well, I, I know the left, their head's going to spin here. But uh, I've known Mike since uh, he was in law school, and um, we, we go way back, about 25, 26 years. And we have collaborated on many things over those 26 years. Yeah, so you know how dangerous he is. I do. I actually <laughs> do. He he actually, as he said, and I think it, the best. And this is this is something that the left just misses. We're not hiding anything. I mean, he said this on on Hannity the other night. You want to know where I stand on this? You pick up a Bible and read it. And of course, uh, Jen Psaki on MSNBC goes berserk. You mean he has a biblical worldview? Absolutely. And we're working to get more of those all across America. Those who actually see the world through the lenses of Scripture, meaning that they're going to live in such a way that everybody benefits from it. Yeah, so they say you're going to force it upon them. You're going to force this worldview. What does that mean? No, we're not like, you know, I, I like you just said something about the theocracy. I, I, I haven't read that from, yes, from uh, this Saturday when the pro-Hamas groups were storming the White House, pushing on the gates, yelling Allah Akbar. That's a theocracy. They're trying to storm the – in fact, it was fascinating, Mike, that there were no incidents, no arrests, even though windows were smashed in local restaurants, uh, McDonald's nearby, and the uh, White House uh, gate and fences were uh, – walls were defaced with paint. Um, you see, the left – this is their problem, Mike. They're reflecting the same thing that's happening on the streets here. It's this hostility, anti-Semitism, what, what we find that leads to, and it is, a, it is evidence of hostility toward any type of biblical faith. And so the left is doing the same thing that the, uh, the pro-Hamas groups are doing out there on the streets. I think, uh, tell me about Mike Johnson as a person, uh, just watching his speech. 
uh, it was clear to me that it was, it was just a perfect example of for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Well, let me just say this, and, I, and this is the Epic Times when I talked to them about this. I, look, Mike, and I, Mike is a very, very close friend. And so Mike did not position himself for this. He wasn't posturing. He wasn't doing all of the things that politicians do. We were just praying about this. And, and that's how he pursued this. And so he was comfortable whether it happened or it didn't. And here's the thing that the left needs to understand about that. He recognizes, as he said in his speech, again, he's not hiding anything. He said, the Lord exalts people into these positions. He put all of you out there, as he said to his colleagues in this office, and he's placed me here. You know what? That What frightens the left about that is that when we recognize that the Lord directs our steps, as Scripture says, we have nothing to fear. And that's what the left uses so prominently. We saw it in COVID. We've seen it in so many different areas, politics, education. They use fear as a club to keep people in line. Here's uh, Salon.com. This is the former White House correspondent for Playboy. Uh, about Mike Johnson, they oh, he, said, he talked about how MAGA theocrats like Mike Johnson are more dangerous to America than Hamas. That, that's his whole argument. Ugh. So he says they, you, want no separation of church and state. They want an isolationist country surrounded by walls and dedicated to the proposition that the First Amendment guarantees them the right to worship any way they want while forcing the rest of us to worship the way they choose. There's more, but let's just stop there. What do you make of that? Oh, well, look, re religious freedom, just as the founders envisioned, the pilgrims pursued, was the ability to live your life, not just within the four walls of a church, but to raise your children, to educate them, to work accordingly. That's why we had the Puritan work ethic that made our economy the strongest, best in all of the world, is because we see everything we do as an extension of our faith. Does that mean everyone else has to? No, but we should be free to, and that's what... In fact, we're aggressive defenders of the separation of church and state. We don't want the state meddling in the business of the church. And if there's been any breach of that so-called wall, it's been government encroaching upon our ability to live out our faith. So, yes, are we going to push back and say, stay within your boundaries to government? Absolutely, we are. That's what fears the left, because they made government their god and their religion. Yep. And, of course, we don't have to do it now, but that's, of course, the original meaning of the separation of church and state as uh thomas jefferson wrote yeah. it to the danbury baptists it was no i promise you that the state will not get involved in the affairs of the church that was his promise and, and we've flipped it around but we don't know then. our history anymore so the, so salon and and all these other left-wing rags can can write what they want because we have we're educating uh, generations that have no clue as to what the history of the first amendment was all right here's the next sentence while the Age of Enlightenment led men, after hundreds of years of bloody crusades, to give up on state religions and was a direct inspiration for our Bill of Rights, modern Republicans seem hell-bent on returning to the Middle Ages, driven there by the first Christian nationalist House Speaker. What's a Christian nationalist? You know, that, that it is an elusive term that is like silly putty. They can make it whatever they want to distort whatever they care to distort. Look, what we're talking about here is is nothing different than what the founders – and it's very interesting. They're opposed to what the founders envisioned for this country. That's really what it is, It's a, and we're seeing this as a hatred toward America, America exceptionalism and what America stands for. And so this is not just about a hatred for Christianity and the, the ability to live out one's faith. It's a hatred for America and what America stands for. That's what they're actually talking about. So what is this Christian worldview that, we're, uh, that Mike Johnson has that we're supposed to be scared of? Well, a Christian worldview. Actually, it's very interesting. George Barna, many may know that name. He's a senior fellow for us, but is one of the foremost uh, kind of Christian sociologist researchers. A worldview is actually formulated between the period of 14, 15 months of age to 13 years which is why we see this push for early childhood education by the government. That's where we kind of basically form the parameters in which we see the world, the lenses by which we see the world and how we process the events around us. A biblical worldview is just saying, look, God is in control, we're not. Man is, uh, is fallen in his nature, and he needs a redeemer. 
and there is grace found in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, of course, the Scripture speaks to how we should conduct ourselves, how we should love our neighbor, how we should stand uncompromisingly for truth, seeking not conflict, but seeking to pursue that truth. And so the Scripture speaks to every aspect of life. People don't realize it speaks, it speaks to the economy. It speaks to uh, the military. It, it speaks to every aspect of life. And so a biblical worldview is just simply looking at the world through the parameter of, of Scripture. And quite frankly, that's how this nation was founded through the principles of Scripture. So if it was good enough to found a nation upon, it should be sufficient to guide a nation by today. And that's what a biblical worldview is. So what's the, we're talking with Tony Perkins, president of the Family Research Council, friends with Mike Johnson, new Speaker of the House. So what, to go deeper than just politics, what is someone who's, who doesn't have that worldview? What are they concerned about with what you just said? Why are they against what you just said? Well, because, number one, it is a surrendering of our, you know, we're not the, the captain of our fate. You know, we're, we're not the one who, de- who really determines. In term, from a standpoint of the, the Scripture, as, as a Christian, we understand that, that God is sovereign. He created us. We can't define our own gender. We are made by God in his image, and, and, and therefore he has, a, he has a plan for us. And so it's surrendering, it's submission to God and to his will for our lives, which as you read Scripture and you understand it, it's beneficial to all, not just those in the faith, but those outside the faith. When you look at this country that was founded upon these principles, you know, it was Christianity that gave rise to hospitals, to educational institutions, to the emancipation of uh, those that have been held in slavery and bondage. It was Christianity that eliminated that idea of slavery. It was Christianity that elevated women to the same stature as men. So, you know, the, the very thing that has given the platform for those to attack Christianity, it goes right back to them. They are actually attacking the very foundation that gives them the right to do what they want to do. But to follow Christ means that, as Jesus himself said, that we're to de- deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. So it no longer is about us, but it's about him. I've said that the, I think, there may be another one, or other ones, uh, but the biggest dividing line, and it's not even between progressives and conservatives, although they're, they're, that, that can help, uh, but the biggest dividing line you mentioned is the fallen nature of man. Uh, is man born good? Uh, or is man born sinful? I think if you start from one of those two points, you end up in completely different planets as, as you live your life right. with that worldview. Uh, can you speak to and, that? And Mike, you're absolutely right. And that affects the policies that we adopt in government. You know, the, the great society has proven to be a failure because it is not about material things. It's rather about the immaterial, that the, 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 the condition of the heart, not the condition surrounding us that determine our future. And, and so that worldview does affect the way we approach life, including the policies. How do you, how so? Go, give me one example of, what, of a policy that could be different because someone has that worldview. Well, for instance, well, just for instance, if we, if we, we, we wouldn't be driving religion from the public space if we realized that man was fallen and he needs a savior, he needs to be redeemed. He's not, he, it's not that he has already arrived and he's just being chipped away at by the environment around him, but rather we're, we're debased in our nature and therefore we need a savior and, and we need to not force this upon anybody. But they certainly need to have access to it, and we shouldn't be driving God and, and, and marginalizing faith in public. You know, when you look at the, the, the condition of the family, I mean, it should, the great society should prove the fact that government programs are not going to perfect society. It hadn't happened. We're $33 trillion in debt, and our streets are filled with lawlessness. So, I mean, it's, the evidence is quite quite is quite oh, yeah. uh in our face yeah it's unbelievable this, this approach has not worked no it's unbelievable what we were concerned about decades ago and how much worse worse way way worse now and it's i think it's getting less attention or at least 
But people aren't doing much about it. And, and, and to that point, my, and Mike made this point the other day when the, we had the shooting in Maine. See, the, the, uh, a, and here's a great example: a this this secular worldview, this worldview that man is uh, is fine. We just need to take the instruments out of his hand. That guns somehow are the problem. And Mike made the statement: it's not the guns; it's the condition of the human heart. That's the difference. That's yeah, where you lo- see the difference here in worldviews. Okay, here, here, okay, let's go one more. Uh, most people say the gun, right? Some people will say mental illness, but someone with a Christian worldview will say, no, heart. It's not the brain, although, sure, we can talk about the brain. It's the heart. It's the soul. And that's something that we don't talk about in our culture anymore. It, it's true, but Mike, I would, I would go further that the condition of the heart has affected the condition of the mind. That's right. And I do believe that mental illness is a problem, but there, we're, we are reluctant outside the church to address the impact that the corrupted heart has upon the emotional state of people. Yes. When you live saddled by guilt when you have no hope. And what we've done, we've taken from a generation, multiple generations, the hope that there's anything beyond what they see with their own eyes or touch with their own hands. And that leaves them, when they realize that none of this is satisfying and rewarding and fulfilling, how could we not have mental illness? So I'm writing this, I'm writing this down. When we've told generations nothing Nothing beyond what you can see with your eyes or touch with your own hands. Oh, that's really interesting. Okay, what does that do upon the human heart and soul if you tell them that this material world is all there is? And and not only that, but you got here randomly uh, by chance and you don't really make any decisions. It's all like chemical processes in your brain, like hormones make you feel a dopamine hit and that's like all you're driven by. What what does that lead someone to be? You you become desperately hopeless and you seek to find a way out whether it's it's in drugs i mean why do you think we have this epidemic of drug overdoses now and i understand fentanyl and i understand the drug addiction and all these deaths that are record highs but why are people taking drugs now i i understand some of it's because it's over prescribed medication but let's get to the heart of the matter. It is people looking for some way to placate and to uh, suppress the hopelessness that's within. And we've, we've taken from a whole generation, a couple of generations, the opportunity. And again, I say opportunity. And, and, and the scripture is very clear. And God, from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, does not force himself upon anyone. It's a matter of choice. But should we deny children the choice by driving God out of the out of the public square, marginalizing so that if a child expresses faith in school, he's sent to the principal's office, and as there's some inquisition as to how this came about. So it, it does go back to the heart, and I tell you, if we want to solve the epidemics of lawlessness, of desperate hopelessness. We need to go back to the condition of the heart. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, he said, the strength or weakness of a society depends more on the level of its spiritual life than on its level of industrialization. Uh, he goes on and it says, uh, a tree with a rotten core cannot stand. So we can talk about the strength of our country as GDP, but that ain't it. It's the level of our, our spiritual life. And, and were we Tony Perkins, president of a family research council, the family research council, were we founded as a Christian nation? How do you define that? Mike, I would define it as such that we were a nation founded upon Christian principles. Now, if you were to say we were founded a nation that was Christian, where everybody had to be Christian, that that was the state religion, that would not be true. But we were founded on Christian principles that we gained our direction and our our sense of purpose from. So we were founded in a in, in a unique way, in that we were we were founded upon these eternal truths. Not all of the founders were believers, uh, but many of most of them, if not all, operated from this this. Um, I'm not going to say biblical worldview, but a predominant biblical worldview. Mm-hmm that understood that there was a creator 
and uh, they operated within the confines of what he created, and he set the rules in place. And if we want to, if we want it to work well, we need to follow the rules. I mean, say John, John Adams said that we, we are. Our Constitution was made for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for the government of any other. And we're now seeing this as we're fraying on the edges of our society, lawlessness, running rampant in our streets, crime, homicides. It's because we've lost that sense of personal morality, and we're no longer enforcing a standard of morality. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about the morality from standpoint of biblical morality i'm talking about law and order we've lost the sense of law and order in our society what you just said is so simple and as i'm a christian so i don't know it seems unoffensive uh i'm trying to go back to before i was a christian and i don't let that sound very sensible what you just said it's true right that doesn't seem like oh you're imposing upon me <laughs> it's just oh that's the way it is and like it went pretty well for a while while you know, while we stuck to that and did the best we could, and now we've gone away from it, and how's it going? That that seems very unoffensive, but uh, it's it's supremely offensive to to many. Um, I gotta ask you a question. Uh, last question, Tony, or last theme of questions is about this covenant marriage that Mike Johnson is in, and I think two states have it, and uh, I've never heard of it in my life. So, what is a covenant marriage? Well, actually, I'm looking at the wall of my office where the original copy of the covenant marriage uh, hangs. I was the author of it back in 1997. And uh, in fact, that's where Mike and I met. He was, um, I, I believe he was, I know he was at LSU Law School. I think he may have been over the Federalist Society. He invited me to come and speak to the law school. I did about covenant marriage. Uh, because it captured a lot of attention when it passed. Because it was the first time in over 200 years that the law was moving toward a stronger covenant. And this is what it provides for. Again, it's a choice. Everything we do is a choice. Okay, <laughs> you If you choose a covenant marriage, the design was that you would have the tools to make your marriage successful, meaning you undergo premarital counseling. And then the other side of it, is if your marriage was not working, instead of just you know heading heading to the divorce court, we put a few speed bumps along the way that you would have to get additional counseling to try to work out your differences. If you couldn't, then you could get the divorce. But it was recognizing the implications that divorce has had upon our society and upon children in particular. And so Mike and uh, and, and his wife Kelly, along with the uh, the former governor of Louisiana, Bobby Jindal, and his wife Sapria, they got covenant marriages uh, when those came out and when uh, Mike and Kelly got married a couple years later. So that's what a covenant marriage is, and, and, and Mike uh, helped promote it. We worked on a number of things together regarding uh, public policy. And so I know very I'm, I'm very familiar with the way Mike thinks and, and what he's pursuing. And, and it's simply it's right there. It's not hidden. It's very clear for everyone to see. OK, um, I it was pretty it's been pretty recently. I haven't done enough research on the argument that no fault divorce was a, has been a terrible thing for our country because it sounds very simple. Right? It sounds very good pro woman or something. Um, someone wants to get divorced. Boom, you get divorced. What's what's the problem with that, and why? Well, actually, why, why it's you interesting you say that because, well, w women in particular were the ones who suffered tremendously from this, and, and it was uh, again another statistic. Interesting, as you said, it, it there's actually three states: Arizona, Arkansas, followed Louisiana. We were the, I was the first to do it, and uh, and then the divorce attorneys got wind of this and they started killing it in legislatures across the country because mm. it's bad for business for them. And when you look at no-fault divorce, what, what's happened is that it has made marriage less binding than a, an, than a business contract. And so it, it leaves people in kind of, you know, especially those who are, and this is what we, I was getting back to the statistics. One thing we found is that those who were choosing this were those who had come from broken homes. And they wanted the security of a, of, a, of a stronger bond, and they wanted the tools because it wasn't modeled for them in their own home. They wanted the tools to make marriage successful. 
And, and so that's what this was about. It, and so many pastors in the first 10 years of this would not do anything but covenant marriages. In fact, when I pastored, I would only per, uh, conduct uh, covenant marriages because I want to make sure that the, the couple entering into this marriage has the, the best chance of succeeding. And that means having the tools, conflict resolution. Uh, we would do an inventory. There's some great inventories out there. Prepare is one of them. But they would take it to see where they're there's conflict kind of under the surface and where they're compatible, where they're not, so they could work on those issues. And so, I, I, Mike, it, it, it's always baffled me why people were opposed to couples having a choice to choose something that might make their marriage better. Well, our uh, our world is celebrating Courtney Kardashian and Travis Barker welcoming their first child together. And this is all over there. Their, their first child together is such a funny term, right? That's, that's so, it's such a passive, non-committed, non-committal term. Their first child together. But that's our world, and that's our culture. And a covenant marriage is the opposite of that. But we don't, but we don't have to accept it. Yep. And, and this was, this was the, the whole, a large part behind the covenant marriage was, look, we can, we can talk about what's not right, or we can model what is right. And this was designed to be a tool primarily for Christians and others who wanted to model what was right, not just to, 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 to uh, you know, curse the darkness, mm. but to turn on the light and show a way that is better. Yeah. Yeah, the light has overcome the darkness. The darkness has not overcome the light. Tony Perkins, president of the Family Research Council. Mr. Perkins, please keep up the wonderful work, sir. Thank you, Mike. Great to be with you this morning. Thank you. Hope we can do it again. Uh, it's Tony Perkins, friends with the new Speaker of the House. This Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, is such a, a beautiful experiment, and and I, I so hope it goes well, because <laughs> uh, it, it would prove that you can be this type of person and be exalted into positions of power and influence like this and uh, do it in such a way that is uh, godly and effective. And, and I look forward to uh, much success. American made I got American parts I got Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily. We also talked to Matt Boyle about Trump taking the witness stand today in his civil trial. So we'll give you the latest on that tomorrow. Breitbart News Daily. Spread the word.